You are watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by me, Scott Weiser. I've worked as a character animator on projects for DreamWorks, Fox, you are and watching Independent the Directing Studios. Animation Livecast, hosted by me, Scott Weiser. Scott Weiser. I've worked as a character <laughs> animator on projects for myself. Every step of the infinite loop. There it is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it just needed to catch up, maybe. It did. It did. Absolutely. Okay. Well, the rest of my intro is... <laughs> that uh, I, I'm working on becoming a director, and I've kickstarted my directing part of my career with my short film layers, and then these books that I've written, illustrated, and pitched at several studios as animated feature films. So, uh, and sorry for the infinite loop, I had the, I had the window open in another browser, and it was playing sound over and over and over again. So oh, oh. that's what happens, apparently. That's what happens when you do your first episode. you got to get through those bugs, right? Exactly, exactly. And here we have Tony Bancraft as well. I could not think of a better first guest to have because he wrote the book on directing <laughs> for animation. <laughs> How great is that? <laughs> Uh, Tony, if you don't know much about him, which you probably should, he co-directed Mulan, the original Mulan. People keep asking me, did he, is he directing yeah. the live action? No, no, the animated. And he has co-directed other projects such as Animal Crackers, which has not been released yet. And we're going to talk about that later on here in the show. So here we go. <laughs> All right. So my first question is is actually based on my experience reading your book for the first time when it first came out. I was hopefully one of your first thousand buyers at least and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember you I remember meeting up with you at CTN Animation Expo and I think you had me sign it for you or something right yeah well you had the you had the what do you call it you had the actual book there before it had been printed oh, it was kind of a dummy right. book and so I yes. was able to look through it and see what it was going to be like but uh, yeah I, I bought it after that because it hadn't been released yet so Cool. Fantastic book. And I read it for the first time thinking, you know, that's my dream. I want to become a director. I obviously haven't lost sight of that. But reading it as I've been preparing for this show this past month, it has been so different. You know, <laughs> my perspective has changed. Uh, the Eric Goldberg interview was really surprising because I've actually done a lot of hand-drawn animation recently in my freelance. I get more hand-drawn now than CG, <laughs> which is crazy because wow. I trained in yeah. CG. But his, his interview was a lot more meaningful as well. So the question for you is, now that you've had all this experience of 10 years of more directing and all the stuff you've done, what would you add to the book that you, you didn't put in before? Is there anything that you'd add? I'm, I mean, I would probably go, to me, it's not, directing for animation is not about, you know, um, method as much, you know, or like um, what medium you use. So I don't know that I would go more into the technology of it. Although it might have been interesting to get a director that has experience having done like virtual reality or something like that. That could have made it more uh, up to date if I was yeah. up to date. For Absolutely. I'm pretty happy with the directors that I interviewed for it because um, back when I did it, I, I got Tim Miller um, to do it. And this is before he had he had directed a lot of video games, cinematics and things like that. He had his own company, Blur Studios mm -hmm. in Santa Monica. I knew him fairly well, but he had yet to direct a full feature. And now he directed the first Daredevil. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Deadpool. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. He, he was the director of the, the Deadpool, and now he's directing his second film. He's got all kinds of opportunities spring up for him. So he's he's a much bigger name now than when I interviewed him ten years ago, and that happens, you know. And then there's others yeah. that you know maybe you haven't really seen much of since my interview with him. Um, but 
I don't know. I, I'm really happy with the, the interviews. I think content wise, I probably, I, I look at it a pretty, um, I'm not really happy with the editing of the book. So I have been very crucial about those kind of things and critical about, um, I should have edited it better and there's some typos in it. And, you know, there's things like that, that I would definitely fix. But I think I would probably just go a little deeper in some of my chapters that I wrote about either using more anecdotes or mm-hmm. also oh, yeah. um, digging a little deeper into some of the techniques that I've I've learned more about uh, more recently. So, yeah, there are things I would definitely update uh, if I could go into it again. I mean, and there's some that are just kind of rising to the top of my mind. But yeah. I do like the, the simplicity of the book. I try to keep it. I wanted it to be approachable for first-time directors. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that, for sure. Or even people that were just thinking about directing, like, what is this? How? What does a director do in an animated film? Because that's, that's <laughs> what really, that was the impetus for the book. Yeah. Because I, I would go to family reunions or, you know, um, parties or something like that with non-industry people, and the question would always come up, I know what a live-action director does, but what does a cartoon director do? I mean... <laughs> Characters aren't alive, so how do you direct them? I mean, it was just some of the lamest questions, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and yet, it it really kind of told me that people just don't understand. It's a mystery to them what a, a, an animation director does. So I wanted my book to be fairly basic, so that anybody could pick it up and get an appreciation for one, an appreciation for what a director does in animation. Yeah. And two. The differences too. There's always there's different kinds of directors and supervisors and roles and titles. I try to get into that. And then three, um, in a very simple way, kind of take take somebody through what I think are some of the more important elements uh, that a director does in animation. Um, but certainly it doesn't dig real deep into a you know a how to or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's part of what I'll cover here on the show. And actually, I, I like that you mentioned the virtual reality because my next guest is is a pro in virtual reality so he has a virtual reality studio so we got you covered there (laughs) good and uh as far as the typos in the book go i didn't notice them but every time i see a typo in an author book i kind of almost cheer (laughs) really (laughs) because i'm like they do it too I cringe. I'm just like, oh, oh well, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I blame the publisher to a certain degree because they had an editor on it, and I don't think the editor ever read it or edited anything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the editor did or why we even had one. Yeah. I really don't. Maybe they were. Maybe they had another pet project or something, another passion project. Who knows? <laughs> so yeah. That could be it. Well, awesome. Well, uh, there was another thing that you pointed out. I, I liked. I liked the interview from Tim Miller a lot. He's very passionate, you know. He is, and uh, he also is one that that curses a lot. A lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I can't remember. I think we made a choice. I wanted to keep the book, you know, a little more family friendly. Yeah. And for you know, introductory for people that are just learning. I didn't want to blow him away with you know the full Tim Miller. So we edited out a lot of language in that, but it certainly comes through that he's very opinionated and um, you know, yeah, very passionate about what he does and how he thinks and stuff like that. Yeah. So it it is what makes him successful, and he's very driven in that way. But he also comes from a different world. I mean, most of us, yeah. Disney animators, Pixar animators, or whatever that have gotten into directing kind of come up through the ranks of happy-go-lucky, family-friendly films. And Tim is one that's like hardcore video gamer. And, and, you know, he's into kind of some of the 
the darker, more adult <laughs> sides of animation. And uh, yeah. And it shows. I mean, he's the one that put together also on Netflix. He oversaw and directed several of the episodes, but also all of them in general for, um, I think it's called Love. Death and Robots. Love, Death and Robots. Yeah. Yeah. That's Tim Miller. Okay. Um, And so he did some of those shorts, but he also Ah. oversaw the whole project, got it going at Netflix. And now they're doing a a second season, I guess they're calling it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that him being so passionate doesn't mean that he's not great to work with. I have uh, one of my favorite animators who I worked with at Rhythm and Hughes, my first animation job. He worked at Blur a lot, and he went back to Blur, I believe, and he just loved it there. He just talked about how awesome yeah. it was to work there and how he loved the environment. And, and he, he liked that darker darker side of life. <laughs> so yeah. he, he, he really enjoyed that place. I think it's kind of his happy place. Uh, he was really yeah. passionate about the Goon project. I think he helped a lot with the Goon yeah. tests, animation tests. Yeah. For those that don't, don't know, yeah, the, the Goon is a comic book, um, and Tim Miller was raved about it. He loved it, so he tried to develop that, uh, did a Kickstarter and stuff, yeah. and there was an animated trailer that they created for it, which I loved. I, I thought that was, like, incredible. When it I was. It was that. amazing quality. Yeah, and um, he had David Fincher on board to, like, produce it, and even with that star power and stuff and a lot of people involved with it and the quality looking so good – could never get a studio to buy off on it. Maybe now, if he wants to turn back to it, now that you've, you know, they say success breeds opportunity. So yeah. he's certainly got opportunities popping up all over now. Well, I hope he does. I hope he does. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So let's let's move on to Animal Crackers and talk about how, what kind of experience that was. What was that like directing? Was it a remote production? It was. Um, so, yeah, for those that don't know, I, I <laughs> co-directed a movie called Animal Crackers. It, it actually completed about two years ago, so it's something I did. I guess I started on it maybe three, three and a half, four years, probably four years ago now. And independent project. I've been independent of Disney since 2000. So, you know, I was kind of born and raised in the Disney studios, having worked there for about 12 years on all the classic yeah. films, you know, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast and all that. Co-directed Disney's Mulan. And then I felt really called to pull away from Disney, start my own animation company for about seven years, did a lot of faith-based work in that in that company. And then after that, we had to close the doors after seven years, unfortunately, because of lack of funding and things like that. It was a, it was a real downtime in the economy. It was real difficult. And then I kind of resurrected my career in the way of being an independent director and producer. And Scott Saba came to me. He's a good friend of mine from when I had Tunacious, and we worked together on a commercial or two. Yeah. And he had this cool. little concept for this, you know, pet project of his based on a story that he created and would would tell at nighttime to his kids to bed <laughs> at night. It was literally it's really like cool. A, yeah, it was like a you know a, a nighttime story he told to his boys, and it developed as he told it over probably a couple of years. He made it into a graphic novel, and then basically sold it all around town. And it took him five years, but he decided, I want to make this animated film myself independently. Not knowing exactly how to do that, he just jumped into those waters. Part of it was calling me up and asking me would I work on it as a director with him. And trying to you know, use the fact that I did Mulan and worked at Disney and stuff, helped him get the funding independently. And then we started on this journey, and it was probably the most fun I've had on an animated feature since Really? Mulan. Oh, okay, yeah. since Mulan. Yeah, and, and in some ways even more, uh, much more fun than doing Mulan because because it was independent, because it was such a renegade um, virtual studio mm-hmm. that we could kind of create and run ourselves. We didn't have 
I mean, even the investors that put money into it didn't have the authority, uh, you know, contractually to give us input creatively. Yeah. So we really had 100% control. And I'd never experienced that. That's not how it is at Disney. You're directed by <laughs> committee largely. You know, there's yeah. large groups of people and executives that have say. And there's marketing people knocking on your door and licensing, whatever. All these things that kind of dip into what you're trying to do. And for, for better and worse, but on this one, it was like, we are out there on our own. There's nobody else to help us make this movie. And you know what? That's not a bad thing. Let's just do, let's follow our instincts. Let's just go out there on a rope and see if we can make it across. And and we did. And, and it was such a joy to work on. We worked with such a talented crew. But as you said, it was largely a virtual studio. We couldn't afford the brick and mortar and all that. So what we did was we set up a, a little animation studio, basically an office large enough for four or five people. Okay. <clears throat> and we um, housed ourselves at LA Studios, which is a recording studio and down here by Universal Studios in Universal City. Nice. So we would literally go downstairs if our actors were coming in to record or we do scratch dialogue. Yeah. And we can use the recording facilities, which were, you know, used by Disney and, and DreamWorks and all these people. And it was, uh, you know, a professional thing there. So our audio was always great and yeah, yeah. a place for that. But we also had an office upstairs that was our home base, you know, and that's what really helped. That's great. Wow. Now, how was it directing remotely? So you had the core team, and it's actually how I, I thought of setting up the productions I've been pitching. There's a core team, and then you have everybody else remote. Yeah. How, how did that work out? Surprisingly well. Um, it was my first kind of virtual studio um, experience, so a lot of it we were making up as we went. Yeah, yeah. But I got to say, um, what it what it afforded us uh, is that we could, and the good and the bad of it, we could reach out to people that I knew very well, having worked with at Disney and Pixar and DreamWorks and Sony. Yeah. Top professionals that we called up and said, hey, we'd love for you to work on this. And pretty much they all said yes, yes, yes. Only they weren't going to quit their day jobs for it. You know, so they had to work in evenings and weekends. It was a freelance gig for them. Oh, okay. And the con of that is, the pro of that is that we got really top quality people. I mean, yeah. Um, Great designers, great storyboard artists, all that that were at our fingertips. But the con of that is that it's really hard to control from uh, a schedule st a standpoint yeah. because this was their second priority. This is not their right. first priority. Their first priority was their day job. Their second tr priority was Animal Crackers. And actually, we were probably third, fourth, or fifth on their list after family yeah. and other commitments that they had <laughs> and maybe even other freelance that they had. Yeah. <laughs> And we realized that as we went, that we had to kind of pad our schedule because there was always going to be a sequence or two that dropped out that they, you know, an artist just couldn't get to it or like, oh, I had a delay. I had to go see the doctor and I, you know, this and that or, oh, we had a family vacation come up and, you know, and, and so we would always be like, OK, I understand, you know, we're not your first priority, but please get that done, you know. So it was a little difficult to manage, but yeah, I think the 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 give and take of it was that we you know we were it was worth doing it that way because we got such great talent and we yeah. did not have to pay the overhead of having desks and computers and our setup software and, and they were all working <laughs> at home we just yeah. had them and we were close enough to the hub so all the stuff that we did in LA while we had that office there at LA Studios was the things that we wanted to be face to face with artists for and felt was the most necessary which is like all of our character designs were yeah. done in L.A. Um, mm -hmm. by artists there. All of our 
background designs and production designs, storyboards, you know, creating the animatic. We had an editor that that did work in house. In the out of the five people, one of them was an editor, and then we had um, all of our color keys and stuff like that were done there. But pretty much everything after that, everything that was basically two D was done there in LA and then everything that was CG and computer animation we did it in Valencia, Spain at a wonderful studio out there that rose to the challenge and really created some dynamic work and beautiful work. Yeah, um, it looks beautiful for sure. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. There's some trailers online if anybody hasn't seen it go go check out Animal Crackers. Um and we had an all-star cast of characters and actors that came in and joined us as a part of this little adventure. Um Yeah. I'm really proud of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot there to be proud of. And I, I really like, uh, I found Scott Sava's attitude to be very refreshing in the YouTube comments on the trailer. Because <laughs> I yeah. guess there was some sort of distributor deal that went awry, and he's commenting, and some people said some negative things, and he was able to flip those to be very positive. Like, thank you so much for your feedback. I'm glad to hear whatever you have to say, no matter what it is. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was remarkable. Yeah, I mean, he has, um, I can't say enough about Scott, too, because he's, one, he's a real renegade in that he's kind of anti-Hollywood, and um, yeah. but he's a true Renaissance artist in that he, you know, wrote, he wrote the script for it and mm-hmm. uh, did a graphic novel about it, so he can draw wow. and write, and <laughs> he knows color and he paints and uh, all that kind of stuff. Plus, he's turned out to be a really good producer. Yeah. Although he is the only thing that I would say critically about him is that sometimes his anti-Hollywood and don't tell me how to do things kind of attitude can ruin some deals also. But we did have being an yeah. independent without a brand name is very tough these days in Hollywood. And yeah, it is. Hollywood wants to take advantage of of the little guy. And so all of our we've had a lot of offers to distribute um, animal crackers in the U.S., and a lot of them have gone awry because they were either smaller studios, uh, distribution companies that um, promised a lot and then under-delivered and we had to fight them to get out of contracts. So that has happened at least three to four times with uh, just bad situations where as much due diligence as we did on our end, there was always surprises of them trying to take advantage of us Mm -hmm. and that it was um, to the point where we just couldn't work with them. And Scott particularly, being the renegade that he is and wants the best deal all the time, no matter who he is, or, or the lack of brand that we had, yeah, yeah, still demanded, you know, the sky. So there was a lot of offers that were turned down or changed, or, you know, we had to sue several studios just to get out of a contract, and that took, you know, some of them took a year, year and a half just to get out of, and six months here and eight months there, and you go down a certain track, and then it just doesn't work out. <laughs> whatever reason and then it takes time to get out of that direction and try and go in a new one and all the time the worst thing that happens in hollywood is that and i I guess i can understand this but you you can become cursed as a project after a while and kind of stinky like well what's wrong with that project that even though it has such it looks great um there surely must be something wrong with it if it hasn't been released yet yeah and the truth of the matter is is that you can kind of get cursed or almost blacklisted by Hollywood in a lot of ways just by um, it not coming out or people talking about negative about it for no reason, just based on gossip and hearsay. Yeah. And and that's definitely been our project also. So it's been, it's it, it, the frustrating thing for me is I don't have control over how it gets out. That's certainly all in Scott's domain. And I know he's working hard at it. Um, 
I just want people to see it. I'm proud yeah. of the, the project. I think creatively, we did everything we set out to do, and more so, wow. it does not look like a low-budget no, feature. No, it does I not. Think it, it feels like something that could be successful and competitive out there in the marketplace. Yeah. It's certainly not, you know, it's not, there's no comparison to a Pixar film or a Disney film. <laughs> well, yeah. For a low-budget um, independent. But I, I feel I feel like we achieved our goals and then some, and we've created a story that I just feel like people need to see and would want to see yeah if we could just get it out there and I, I just don't know i don't know what the future holds yet for it i hate to be a, a negative nelly on that one well i don't, yeah i mean what what else can you say yeah. <laughs> you know which we did our best it's it's going to get that out there hopefully someday but we just don't know yeah and yeah, yeah the last independent I, actually it has been released in canada but i'm still waiting for it to come to the u.s it was called henchman at bronze studios it yeah. was it was a fun project they have a deal Bron has a deal for Willoughby's, the, the next film. And actually, well, I, I won't say too much about it because of NDA, but oh. uh, you can look it up online. There's, it looks great, what, what you can see there. And yeah, uh, yeah it, they have a Netflix deal for that one. So for sure, that one will be seen. And, and I would have loved to have worked on that one, for sure. Well, I, I think that's the way to do it, too. But, um, you know, sometimes younger independent studios need to kind of put a child out into the world and let it flounder and die and yeah. just to get the next one out successfully. Yeah. Getting it out there is the most important thing though. So, yeah. um, but also, you know, it's also important just to complete something and have something to show to say, you know, we did this and, and, you know, whether or not this even, you know, is a success or gets out there in a big way, we still did this, we achieved this and that opens doors for the next one. So, of course, more success for that first thing is only going to bode wetter, better for your second thing. Yeah. And right now, Scott is at that point where he'd lo he has ideas and wants to do other things. We both want to do things together. Mm -hmm. We'd love to, but a lot of people have that wait and see attitude of, especially investors. Well, you didn't even get the first one out yet and <laughs> seen a profit from that. Can we... We're going to wait and see if Animal Crackers comes out in a bigger way and, yeah. and then maybe we'll invest in the next one, you know. Interesting. Wow. And the interesting thing about, I like this concept that you pointed out about, you put something out there and then it may gain traction, it may flounder and die. I think Braun, it's, it's their fourth project that's been picked up by Netflix. Their fourth? Now, their fourth wow. animated, specifically. They have a lot of live action stuff that's been successful. In fact, yeah. I think Birth of a Nation did the biggest deal in Sundance history at the time that I was there. So they've had lots of success, but with the animated stuff, it's kind of been slow, you know, gaining traction, gaining traction, and then... It looks like Willoughby's is uh, is going to be really big, I, I hope, for them. That's awesome. So that's really cool, yeah. And that's how my personal projects have been as well, the, the books that I held up at the beginning. Uh, the, you can yeah. see behind me. You know, I I actually put one out that I don't share anymore. Uh, my buddy, Chris Oatley, who's a Disney character designer, he just came to me. He's like, you you really got to actually keep putting that one out. So I guess I might. Uh -huh. uh, but these these two new ones, I'm just kind of waiting to see how, what people's reactions are. I learn from the audience reactions, and then I make my next thing better. And uh, hopefully one day, you know, it catches on. So, yeah. Great. Like they, I hope it does, Scott. Oh, That's me too. Awesome. <laughs> me too. So when it comes to, well, I guess that's actually a good segue to one of the questions I had. If you were in my position where there's lots of potential, right? I've directed stuff. I have these ideas that I want to put out there, but I haven't actually directed that feature film. What advice would you give some, to somebody in my position on how to, to get that next step? 
Well, you know, I, I, I did this within Disney, um, became a director within yeah. the Disney structure. So it's <laughs> a little different, but uh, one thing that I think, um, would be, we'd have in common is that I, uh, that you need to put it out there, you know, put yeah. it out that you need to be vocal about the fact that you want to and desire to be a director and to be considered a director before people really, you can't expect that people are just going to go up to you and say, Oh my gosh, you know, Scott, you just look like a director and we're yeah. going to make you a director. No, that hasn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Been waiting. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. I feel like you would be a great director. We're going to promote you now and give you money. You know, that kind of thing just, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So you really need to be doing everything you can, pushing towards that and talking about yourself and seeing yourself as that director um, so that people can really get that in their mind that then, and, and that's kind of what I did at Disney. There was, yeah. I had opportunities to, you know, be more vocal in meetings as an animator and then a supervising animator. Mm-hmm. And, um, the executives after a couple of years started to realize, well, Tony's got some ideas. He's got some opinions. Um, oh, he's good with this. He's good with that. We see that in his animation. Mm-hmm. And then an opportunity has to come up, right? Yeah. And that's the uncontrollable part. Is yeah. that I was always, you know, you got to be kind of praying and looking out for those opportunities because sometimes you just have to go for it and yeah. uh, and be kind of strong and forceful in a moment, or those opportunities can just come to you. Um, it certainly was like that for me on Mulan. I I did not seek out directing, and I didn't. Ex- I wanted to do it. I was something I was, but it was. It looked like it was going to be like a five-year plan, you know. To yeah, it seemed to happen very quickly for you, which is awesome. It did. I mean, it was within five years of me starting at Disney from yeah. the moment I was like an in-betweener five years. to the point that I was directing my first animated feature at Disney. It was five years. And that was unheard of. I was probably the youngest director in Disney history at yeah. that point. I was 27 when they asked me to direct, um, co-direct Disney's Mulan. And that came about because of opportunity, too. They The studio was seeing a lot of success at that point and branching out. They had a studio in you know Paris, France that was assisting on like Tarzan and some of these movies, Emperor's New Groove later. And they had a studio in Florida that was doing shorts at first, but they wanted to expand it into a full feature um, studio. Mm-hmm. So they needed a project for that. So they had already like two, two or three projects overlapped in Burbank. I think they had one. They were about to start something in Paris. They wanted to get Florida going. They just wanted more product, more stuff going on. And so it opened up opportunities that were unexpected, yeah. to say the least. And so when, because I had experience in Florida, there was a lot of different reasons as to why they asked me to do it. But when they when they did ask me, uh, I was kind of bowled over. I was like, uh, you know, it was like one of the biggest moments of my life. Yeah asked by Disney and some I didn't expect and I and I certainly didn't take it lightly I had to pray about it talk to my wife about it and yeah. it meant moving to Florida or back to Florida we had started in Florida and then moved to California to the Burbank studio and then and then it meant going back to Florida for that first feature so it was one of those opportunities that just bowled me over and I just knew I had to take it I was totally afraid very scared about what I didn't know yeah, for good reason. But it doesn't. I, this is one thing. I know I'm going off in tangents here. Sorry. No, this is great. This is great. It's reminding me of a lot of things in the book. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, you know what I discovered was that there's yeah, there's a lot of things I don't, I didn't know, but it was really that actually tended to be the thing that got me through it the yeah. best. Uh, the you know the because you don't know what's coming. You know, it's like being on walking on train tracks and you're not quite sure if there's going to be a train coming down there or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
you're you're fearful of that. Well, there any time there could be, um, but not knowing exactly what was going to happen next uh, was probably what got me through it because I think if I knew everything that was going to happen to me and how long it would take to do things and how difficult it would be and trying to earn the respect of staff and communicate my vision over a long duration of time, if I knew all those those things were coming my way, I think I would have just been not being able to get out of bed at, uh, in the morning. You know, I would have just been... <laughs> Yeah, in the corner probably. Um, so yeah, uh, ignorance um, something that really boldens you, and uh, it certainly did for me. It, it does, and it does that for me as well. Uh, somewhat actually, and maybe I'll go back a little bit to to your first point. Like your advice on what to do in my my circumstances is actually the best advice I've gotten, um, because you know putting myself out there was something I really hesitated to do because I thought if I do that, then I won't get animation work. I actually had somebody at the beginning of my career who said, I told him I wanted to be a director. You know, very early on, I was still in animation school. And he said, don't, don't tell anybody that. They'll roll their eyes at you, you know, <laughs> and uh, oh, think that yeah. you're, you're oh. too big for your britches or whatever. And, and so for a long time, I would kind of subtly hint at it. Or if I knew somebody well enough, I'd say, this is actually what I want to do. Or like I, I said, I, I wrote this book and I, I wanted to pitch it at a studio, and then I ended up at a studio that asked for pitches. So then I went and pitched it, you know. Yeah. And uh, but it wasn't until recently that I took Chris Oatley's Dream Machine course on marketing yourself as an artist that I realized I really need to be bold and speak out and say, you know, this is this is what I want to do. I've done creative directing in a marketing company before. I've done all this stuff. I have these skills. You know, I, I need to put myself out there. And um, I totally finally agree say. with that. And I'm, I'm sorry that you had that friend that gave you that bad advice. It's okay. To me, that putting yourself out there and being bold about your desires and wishes ex is exactly what producers, investors, other people are looking <laughs> for in a leader. Yeah. It's truly what you are as a director is you're a leader. And a leader needs to be able to be, you know, to be able to not in a conceited way or anything like that. They yeah. need to be subservient to their crew. I believe in all those things. But they have to be able to envision themselves as a leader themselves yeah, and, and um, be bold enough to be able to speak into the world what they want, you know? I really feel strongly about that. I think more than any advice that I could give you is that yeah. I, I, you need to be able to kind of, you will be scared, you know, you will be, uh, think that you're, you're not worthy and capable of doing the job, but you need to have that desire be embolden you to be able to speak about it as like, this is what I want. You don't yeah. have to be, you know, you know, conceited about it. And say, I'm going <laughs> to be the next Steven Spielberg or James Cameron. Watch out. Cause here I come. Uh, that's, yeah. that's obnoxious. <laughs> People don't like that. Guy. That is a bit obnoxious. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you haven't earned that right. Right. So no, no, no. I think it's always a matter of judging where you're at, but also projecting forward enough to say, this is what I desire. This is my goal. This is what I'm working towards. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. And you, uh, oh, I had a thought and I lost it because I got listening to you. <laughs> oh, oh, there is a happy ending. So there is a happy ending to that story with uh, the friend who told me that. Okay. Uh, he actually, he saw the stuff. It was around the time where I did Vanishing Ink and that sort of thing. He saw that stuff and he actually ended up offering me a job because of the energy I had. He could see like there was something going on. There was some the spark of creativity that was was burning. Yeah. He's like he's like, I need you over here. And and so he, he did give me a job offer after that. So oh, Well yeah, he saw he said, Oh, this guy Scott, he's got ideas. He's, yeah, yeah. He's thinking ahead. He's not 
trying to lay low and have things come to him. That that never is a good idea. You were going forward. You had ideas. You're writing books. You're coming up with projects. Yeah. You're putting yourself out there by doing all those things. And that's the best way to put yourself out there is, yeah. is to actually make things and do things that people are starting to notice. Then you're not just like, it's not all talk and you beating your chest going, I'm yeah. a great director. And then people will be like, well, what are your ideas? What have you done? Do you have any ideas? You, yeah. Uh, and, well, it's yeah, like what you said in the book, you know, people don't. People don't respect you because of the title. Even if you're Disney, you're the director, they're not going to say, oh, he's the director, so I suddenly have respect for him. It's your actions yeah, that, really that earn that respect Yeah, and develop. I would almost say develop that respect over time. And, and I think people need to see that you're, especially your, your staff, your employees, if you will, they need to see that you're in it as deeply, if not more so than they are, you yeah. know, they want to know that <laughs> you're committed to the projects, that you're passionate about it and all that. That's, 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 what's infectious. Yeah. And, yeah. And it comes from the top down and then they give you respect. You know, if they respect that, they respect that you are into the project and, and they're a hundred percent of the time with them side by side. It's awesome. So let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk a bit about this panel you hosted at Lightbox. The new, oh, yeah. the new, are they calling it an animation expo? Are they calling it a art expo? I don't know. It, it really did feel like, yeah, it was the very first one. It was this weekend. That's yeah. why I'm a little drained and energy low. I forgive me, audience. Um, but You um, seem yeah. relaxed and, and at ease. Mellow, yeah. <laughs> mellow. mellow. I could fall asleep <laughs> at any time. Yeah. Um, um, it was this weekend, and it seems to be, they're not calling it this, but I would label it as an entertainment arts convention okay because there was a big because bobby chu is one of the founders of it yeah. um and he brought in a lot of the talent his friends and he comes from that world of concept design mm -hmm. so there was a lot of digital artists a lot of concept artists like marvel painters and stuff like that doing superhero stuff so it was definitely outside of what i would say um like say for example ctn animation expo has created a a reputation or a brand for itself as being more character animation driven yeah. story, yeah. character design, you know, visual development, but concept design is a little bit more like VFX. There was a lot of gaming VFX artists there. Yeah. Uh, at uh, Lightbox. So I felt like it was different enough that um, that both CTN and, and, and uh, Lightbox could happen, you know, and exist in the same reality. And oh, and we hope be, they will because they're just both wonderful. Yeah. This will yeah. be my 10th year at CTNX. And you're, oh, wow. have you gone all 11 years? Um, I missed one. I got sick. Okay. Last minute. <laughs> and so, yeah, I've gone 10 out of the 11. Gotcha. Wow. Well, and I, I, I'd never made that connection until now that. CTNX doesn't focus a lot on VFX. No, it doesn't. But I had yeah. never, yeah, it, it really doesn't. And gaming, largely, there's very Yeah, there's game. not a lot of, I mean, last year was the first time they had a virtual reality, whole area, the whole room was virtual reality. Yeah. And that was pretty awesome, very awesome experience. Yeah. But yeah, interesting. That's fun. Yeah. So what oh, were... So, oh, so, sorry, back to the panel you asked me about. Yeah, I wanted to know your insight from the yeah, panel, so on favorite Saturday, insight. At Lightbox, I hosted a panel on um, directing for animation. I think it was called Clarity of Vision. It had a longer title. <laughs> and But really, it was just all directors from animation. There was four plus myself. I hosted it and asked kind of questions. It was like Chris Sanders from Lilo and Stitch and How to Train Your Dragon and Crudes. He was on it. Yeah. 
uh, Clay Cadis, who did the first Angry Birds and Christmas Chronicles, which was a live action yep. film for Netflix. Awesome. Um, Trisha Gum, uh, she co-directed the new Lego Movie Two. Okay. And um, oh, Rodney Rothman, who was the um, co-director on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and oh. also a screenwriter of many films too. Wow. So it was a great, great group, and a lot of different insights came out. I did, I did ask him questions that were along the lines of discoveries that I had had as a first-time director on Mulan, and trying to see if they connected with those things. And there was, it was, it was amazing. Like one of the things that we talked about and we all had in common is that because we all had done studio-driven animated films and worked within the corporation of a studio, that you you discover as directing in that style of directing, it's not only is it, yes, very much by committee, yeah. but, <laughs> but it's meetings that drive the making of the film. Um, and, and largely, it's like when you walk in in the morning, there's a co-producer, a production manager that has created a, a schedule for you. This is how it was on Mulan for me. They would literally hand you the schedule. It's funny, they, they, did, they wanted it to be on my person all day long, so they would, yeah. they would make a, a, a schedule that was like, you know, on an eight and a half by 11 card. I could slide it in my back pocket. <laughs> I could pull it out anytime. But every meeting was like every 15 minutes, every half hour, every hour, there was a different meeting throughout the day. And I would have to negotiate for you know, times to go to the restroom or times for lunch. I want to have a free lunch here. Let me just have some downtime just to yeah. cower in my office and cry a little bit, you know. <laughs> um, but it, and we all had that in common. All the directors like chimed in really quickly and said, yeah, it really is directing a film via schedule. And it's like that schedule can really drive, okay, well, at 8 a.m. Or, or sorry, it's more like 9 or 10 a.m., I've I'm, I'm got to go to animation, and we're going to do dailies, and then there's sweat box after that, and then I get to see the layout team, and then there's color. And and you realize that, okay, I'm, I need to get in front of this. As a director, you got to have the ability to go, okay, production is really driving this, and the needs of that production pipeline is driving this, but it's not a creative working environment. There may be times when I need to go, I'm in this meeting over here talking about layout and it spurs an idea for an animation fix on the same scene. I need to be able to go and immediately talk to an animator because they're working, they're in the middle of that scene and I want to give them a note or I want to give them an idea that I just had. And that was the hardest thing to do because they're like, no, no, we got to finish this meeting and we'll try and, you know, put in pencil in 15 minutes. I'm like, I got an idea right now and I need to discuss this immediately. Let me just, just hold off. And then and that was the hardest thing to do was to kind of take over my own film and yeah. because I thought it was better for the creative workflow as opposed to the production workflow. Yeah. Well, and I, that gives me some interesting ideas on, on remote and how, how you could solve that sort of problem. Uh, but we actually are kind of, coming to the end of this and I wanted to do uh, something that I want to do on every show and this is this is part of my core mission as a future director and uh, is uh, it, we'll call it the get wiser moment maybe I'll have yeah. a jingle someday for it who knows <laughs> but uh, yeah so what what moral responsibility do you think if you think there is a moral responsibility that an animator or a director has to the overall world culture. I mean, I, I'm sorry, was that it? Yeah, that's the, that's the question. Okay. That's the question. 
I mean, I do think we have uh, a certain responsibility. I'm certainly, uh, you know, born and raised in more of a commercial storytelling philosophy, I guess. Yeah. I do want, I do, I do make stories that I want to share with an audience and I want them to react to, to be enlightened by, be entertained by. Mm -hmm. Certainly I, I don't make my films just for myself, like an auteur director right. might do or something like you know, where I really don't care if it ever sees the light of day, but it's like, it has to be my perfect work, you know, <laughs> straight from me. I'm, I'm very much happy doing commercial types of stories and all that, but I, I want to make sure that everything that I do has a certain take on it and a certain, a certain morality and lesson learned theme to it. Um, yeah. And that, that's what was great about working at Disney is that they had the same philosophy and all yeah. the way back to Walt Disney. You know, he wanted to make sure that there was some, lesson learned that the character goes through on their journey and they come out yeah. better on the other side. Most stories, you know, in the Joseph Campbell type storytelling structure, yeah. most stories have that anyway. They're, that's built into how we as an audience, as, as, as humans, how we are kind of programmed. You know, the Bible tells stories all the time yeah. and, and um, Christ told stories that always had a moral to them, a value to them. A lesson learned and that's something that uh walt disney always in, in put into his movies and it's something that's become the tradition not only in animation but in hollywood that we that there is something that where the character goes through an arc of change and comes to be a better person or a better there's a better outcome for them because of the journey that they go on and i'm just a real big proponent of that I, and i want to see that go out into the world with positive messages, positive themes. And, you know, most of them largely at Disney have to do with love or understanding each other or family or things like that. Yeah. Those are all the popular universal go-tos. Those are exactly the kind of themes that I want in my work and have yeah. stro strove for. I also have a real big Frank Capra influence. Frank Capra. Oh, I love Frank Capra. Oh, yes, yeah. he's one yeah. of my favorites. <laughs> All-time favorite director. If yeah. I've been asked that question, like, who's your biggest influence? And I've always said Frank Capra because yeah. his stories really are about, and he has a, he has an overall theme that you see in most all of his films that are, you know, the, the little guy can make a difference. You know, one person can change what's what's happening in the world or the dynamic of at least their world yeah. around them. And that's definitely the theme of Mulan. That's the theme of yes, animal definitely. characters. It's always part of the stories that I like to tell because <laughs> I like that message that we can have an impact on this larger world by um, either being driven or being ourselves, being true to who we are, um, will be the biggest way to influence this world in some way. I love that. And I completely agree with everything you just said too. Yeah. So that's wonderful. That's the perfect that's, note to end on, yeah. That's my wiser moment or whatever you call it. Get, get wiser moment. <laughs> that's my get wiser moment. Awesome. Get wiser! Yeah! <laughs> so, Okay, so where would you like people to connect to you and, and follow you on, on Instagram or? Uh, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I um, I put your Instagram down in the in oh, the, the notes? show notes okay. already. Yeah. Okay, good. So Instagram, I'm Puma Guy. Twitter, I'm Puma Guy One. Um, I guess it was already a Puma Guy. I don't know. Um, uh, on Facebook, um, probably the best way is the Bancroft Brothers. We have a Facebook page because we have a podcast, the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast. 
I'd love for people to check that out too, um, where we just, we interview different people in the industry. We talk largely about our own, our own careers and paths and learning and stuff like that, um, all related to our art and passion for animation. Um, so check that out. I have a book directing for animation. It's still available on amazon.com. There it is. All right. Um, and I'm on Weibo now, which is like Chinese, uh, the Chinese version of uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Weibo is very popular in China. So I just joined Weibo also. So for any of the Chinese listeners out there, check me out on Weibo. I'm Pumbaa guy. Awesome. Yep. And you can follow me by subscribing here on the channel or you can scottweiser.com slash follow and Weiser spelled W-I-S-E-R. I'm not uh, German, but uh, uh -huh. I think I have some German in my blood somewhere there. Yeah. But yeah. And uh, this is the only time I can use this because I know it's it's your your catchphrase, but I'd love to end, to end the same way you guys end your show. You want to yeah. do it on the count of three? Sure. <laughs> One, two, three. Animate, Animate from the from heart. heart. Yeah. All right. Take care. <laughs> You've been watching the Directing Animation Livecast. Copyright Scott Weiser, LLC, 2019.